Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of The Five Things, where we dive into five topics across social media culture and culture culture and understand what this means for brands and marketers. I am this week's host, Amanda, filling in for Joey, who is on vacation, much deserved. And I'm welcoming Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Hello. And Kyla. Hi, Kyla. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Great. I'm so glad to have you guys on the pod today. We're going to be unpacking some topics across Snapchat, across Meta, across TikTok, across Be Real, which might be a five things first, and some general social media trends with Generation Alpha. I'm going to pass it over to Jordan, who's going to tell us a little bit about our first thing, and we're going to dive into Snapchat. Thanks, Amanda. So basically, Snapchat has officially launched its new Family Center. It's an in-app tool that will enable parents to monitor who their teens are engaging with in the app, while also keeping the specifics of their conversation private. In their announcement video, they explain that Family Center is supposed to reflect how parents engage with their teens in the real world. They know who their teens are friends with and when they're hanging out, but don't eavesdrop on their private conversations, ideally. So Snapchat went on to further explain that parents will also be able to report any accounts that may be of concern um, directly to Snap's trust and safety teams without alerting their child, which could help to avoid any unwanted attention that their kids might be getting in the app. Um, parents must have a Snapchat account themselves to use this feature, and teens will need to accept an invitation from their parents to join their family center dashboard so there's full transparency in this process. So I thought this was really interesting because Snapchat continues to be a platform that shows that they do care about their user base and what their users need and is listening. And in their announcement video, a lot of the people who spoke about this new tool and feature, like they were parents themselves. So they were basically saying like they wanted this to be, they wanted it to emulate a very healthy relationship between a child and their parents and really just like build on all these safety measures that are being put in place. Obviously, with all of the things in the news recently about like other platforms like Instagram and Facebook and Meta and like how teens and like children are like the mental health effects of different things on social media and how it's like impacting them. It's been a very big topic of discussion and brands are starting and like companies like Snapchat and like even like Instagram and stuff, they've been trying to find ways to counteract these things. And what's interesting is that even in their announcement video, they also made direct reference to the fact that Snapchat opens to the camera and not a feed of endless content. So Snapchat's kind of ahead of the curve as far as like, what they're trying to get their platform to be. And they really want it to be this thing that people are using to like foster social connection and engagement and not just like an endless scroll or just like content that you're just constantly consuming. So I think the main takeaway here is that when companies seem to genuinely care about the well-being of their users, it shows in their product and is really beneficial. I'm interested, Kyla, like, do you have any thoughts about how this could benefit or how other companies could kind of take after this or what they could do to like mimic some of these um, features themselves? You know, I am. I think that I'm a little bit biased 
when it comes to my point of view, because when I was coming up, I would say like the most popular social platform was MySpace. And I feel like all of our parents were trying to cope with what social media was and how much access we were getting. And I remember my mom personally, like wanting my password. And I was like, you're overstepping. I didn't tell her that, but that's what it felt like. And so now I, and I say I'm biased because I kind of feel like when you're coming up, you should have like some type of freedom in that sense, especially on social. But I understand that social media is so advanced these days that I think that you have to have constraints just for the safety of your children, as well as like for their mental health. Us adults probably have better, you know, guardrails and barriers or boundaries rather that we create within with the content that we consume. But I think now it's a little bit more serious than when I was, you know, a teen. So I definitely understand and can appreciate social, like big social platforms taking that stance and wanting to protect the well-being of teens. And I won't necessarily say kids, but you know what I mean? Like teens, tweens. Um, So it's interesting. I think to your, like you said earlier, Snapchat, like they're very advanced. And I think that it's super genuine. And I'm interested to see how other platforms and those big tech companies follow suit. I love that. And you guys are right. It's a new era of social media where it's just internet and it's all different apps and platforms and ways that we're connecting. So really excited to see how some of these policies progress. All right. On to our next thing, Kyla. Elf is on a new social platform. Tell us about this new campaign from the cosmetic company. Totally. So I didn't realize that we hadn't talked much about Be Real on five things. So that's kind of exciting. But as I'm sure most of us social experts know, Be Real is a new reality-based social platform where they're really pushing authenticity and creating organic connection. And um, if you're not familiar with the functionality of Be Real, users get a random notification. It's a time notification once a day. So you have about two minutes to post a photo um, and that photo is unedited because the app doesn't have any filters or anything that makes the photo feel unauthentic. And so it doesn't matter like how late you post the photo, but when you do, your other followers or friends can see how long it took you to take that photo or how many times you took that photo over. Um, Again, just really pushing that authenticity. And then I also think that users can't browse through their friends' photos either until they post something of their own. So I really thought that this was an interesting approach that Elf Beauty took. Um, They're really loved in the makeup industry. And so it almost was like second nature for a brand like Elf to step into an app like Be Real. I think that some users are probably a little bit hesitant of brands coming into this space because as we know on other social platforms today, um, brands can be super targeted with their ads and it kind of interrupts that organic and authentic feel. But Elf, they took a new approach where they will offer different glimpses into their life or into their corporate life, such as sneak peeks, photo shoots, and happy hour hangouts. And so um, their handle is at Elf Yeah, which I think is also super dope and really cool. But their brand or their chief brand officer said that um, in this age of authenticity, we can expect a mix of unfiltered, unretouched moments at Elf headquarters and in the moment messages to connect with their super fans. So the way in which they launched, again, I thought was super cool. Um, to their first 150 followers, they offered a giveaway of a five-piece skincare kit from one of their top selling lines. And so um, there was like a promo code that they posted just to get people really excited about them being on the app. And I think it's really interesting because it kind of forces users to be authentic in what they share, like I said earlier, and it gives brands an opportunity just to feel relatable. Like it, it humanizes them, right? In this world where we're constantly just shopping and into really super lifestyle things, and again, like targeted by ads, it almost allows brands to 
come to the consumer with with an offer versus like looking for to take something from them, if that makes sense. So I'm really interested to see other brands take this approach. I honestly am not 100% sure the lane in which some brands will have. I think that a brand like Elf Beauty that is so product focused and product forward, I think that they have a unique opportunity. But again, it'll be interesting to see how other brands adjust. I love that. And yeah, we've been, you know, counting the days until we see a brand show up on the platform. And I think Elf is doing a great job. And they're not new to jumping on some of these new platforms. They were one of the first brands on Triller, on TikTok. Um, every time a new kind of social media platform is launched, Elf is one of the brands, you know, first on, first mover, doing things that other brands are not doing, even before there might be a KPI or a success metric. And a question for both of you. As brands are going to continue to see new platforms pop up, new user behavior, new places that people are connecting, do you think that there is a risk in showing up in these new places? And do you think that there's a reward for being, you know, one of the first brands in these spaces? I think that it all depends on who you are, like who the brand is and what they're providing. So for a company like Elf, it makes sense because they're providing cosmetics, they're providing makeup. A lot of what they provide and the, their their product offering is directly related to people's appearance and how they perceive themselves and how they show up. So it kind of makes sense it, the, uh, for a brand like that to appear on a space like a Be Real or whatnot. Like I'm not, I do have my opinions about whether or not brands should just be hopping onto these platforms as well and how they do it. But I think depending on what the actual offering is and how you're providing value to like your your users and what you're doing for them, it can be done well. It all depends on that user experience and what the intent is. Like, of course, obviously the intent is always like getting products out there and stuff like that. But it's like, okay, that's always the overarching thing. But how are you really impacting the people who are part, who buy into your brand and who have affinity for your brand? So I think starting there really dictates how and when or why they should show up on these platforms. Yeah, I love that. And to Kyla's point, you know, creating this two-way value exchange between brands and consumers. Um, obviously, we're seeing a lot more of that from a consumer sentiment. So I love that, Jordan. All right, let's move on to our third thing. Tell us about this new study, Teens, Generation Alpha. How are they treating social media technology? How are they spending their time? According to a new report from Pew Research, TikTok has again been confirmed as the dominant platform of the moment among the youth, while Facebook continues to decline. Uh, the report contained data from a survey of over 1,300 U.S. teens and their parents between April and May this year. In order to understand what social platforms are the main focus for young audiences and how much time they're spending in each app, uh, the report went on to explain that 67% of teens between the ages of 13 and 17 say they use TikTok and 16% say that they use it constantly. Conversely, the share of teens who say they use Facebook has dropped from 71% back in like 2014-2015 um, in a 2014-2015 survey to only 32% today. And interestingly enough, YouTube still leads the pack when it comes to overall usage among the social platforms. The report is pretty detailed, but I think the main takeaway is that legacy 
Social media networks are losing their appeal with younger audiences as video platforms gain more attention. So that's why you see, of course, like platforms like Instagram and like Meta in general starting to really switch to this pushing of like video and getting that short form video content out there. Even YouTube with YouTube shorts and whatnot are trying to switch over to this big video focused um, platform like features and content. And I think it's interesting too, because another like stat from the report is that 54% of teens say that it would be hard to get a social media. So like lots and lots of teenagers, of course, are on socials, they use it. And brands and big companies know that that's where teens are. And it shows because it's it's been proven before, like affinity is fostered at a young age. Even if you think of like before big digital products, like if you think of things like Coke and Tide, like people tend to use those products because that's what they grew up on and that's what their mom used or that's what they had a family function. So it, like it starts at that young age. So companies like Meta that want adoption of their latest products are desperate for the attention of young audiences. So I think... A big thing for even marketers um, to take from this, too, is that video is definitely becoming very big. And in addition to video content, if you do want to have reach a new audience and like continue to have success in the long term, it is you do want to be starting young, of course, depending on what the product is. But how you do it and everything, of course, is very nuanced to that specific brand and um, what they're offering. That's really fascinating, too. And Jordan, you mentioned that teens are using social media more and it sounds like the behavior is a lot less passive than it used to be when I was a teenager, for instance, <laughs> where they're actually consuming a lot of content, a lot of video content, again, TikTok and YouTube um, really leading the pack. And Kyla, I'm always going to bring it back to your expertise in influencer marketing. Do you see influencer marketing growing with this, you know, content boom and focus um, for teens these days? I definitely think so. Um, I think that a few years back when there were predictions of influencer marketing really growing, we knew that it would get to a point um, where, you know, millions and maybe billions of dollars were being invested into it. But now at this point, it's almost like it's not like no questions asked 100 percent. I think there's an interesting shift in the way in which content is developed now where, like you guys said, we're totally pushing video content almost on every app at this point. And so it's just interesting to see creators have to kind of shift the way that they create their content and think about how that comes to life to just prioritize video content. And I also see younger audiences, for example, on TikTok really thriving um, when it comes to influencer marketing and just brand partnerships, essentially, because they understand like it's second nature. So you almost see older, more seasoned and mature influencers um, trying to adopt that same mindset and having a harder time. There's some tension there for sure. Um, while, like I said, those younger influencers are just killing the game because they're like, this is what we've been into all along. This is what we love. And I also thought it was really interesting, Jordan, the comment you, ba- you made about affinity because you're 100% right. Like the things that we feel most connected to from a very young age up until almost forever, those are the things that we're going to want to, you know, bring to light. Um, so I'm not surprised by these stats at all. And it's just, it's just really interesting to see. It's almost like this ever changing thing that never, it never stops changing. I mean, that's what ever changing means, but you know, I love that. Yeah. More content, more influencer content. Um, the teens, they know what's up. They need real, real stuff to watch. All right. Fourth thing, Kyla, 
Tell us about demystifying the metaverse. What what is Meta doing to take some steps here for its consumers? So Meta has launched a new video series to help explain the metaverse. And they've actually hired Kiki Palmer as the host of the show titled, Are We There Yet? Um, So the metaverse one-on-one video conversation is aimed at explaining the metaverse to regular people and making the concept feel a bit more digestible, which I think is really interesting. Um, Meta describes the show, Are We There Yet?, as part Bill Nye the Science Guy and part comedians in cars getting coffee. And that's kind of funny. But each episode will showcase different conversations between Palmer and various creators, artists, experts, and more as they travel through, through a future vision of the metaverse in a car and highlight the ways that Metaverse will actually help us feel closer, be more collaborative, and just be built by not a few of us, but all of us. So essentially, they're just really wanting to push the Metaverse and the future of it um, and allow us to understand what exactly the Metaverse is. Because I think at first thought, you're like, okay, cool, it's this new thing that Meta is launching, but what actually is it? I actually watched the first episode, and it's there. It's the vice president of, of the Metaverse, and him and Kiki Palmer are in the car, and, and she's asking all these questions that kind of allude to operationally uh, and conceptually how the metaverse works. And I think it's super neat because I've never really looked into the metaverse outside of what, you know, Amanda, you're the metaverse queen. So this is, this is really interesting to talk to you about, but outside of like what you've presented to us, I personally don't know much about the metaverse as a consumer. And so I think something like this makes sense because in order for people to adopt new technologies for them to be interested, they have to understand what they're stepping into. And so personally, I'm a fan of Kiki Palmer, and I think she can make anything feel relatable. And in that first episode, I saw that um, she's just super funny, charismatic. But like I said, I also understand the push for them to want to make that effort. Because if people need to understand, or they don't understand, I'm sorry, what the metaverse is, and they just won't simply use it. So it makes sense that they're getting ahead of it. Um, I think that there are some there are probably some things that Meta can do a bit better in regards to just like the product and how you actually get started and how you build. But I'm sure that that'll come down the line. At the end of the day, um, it's it's advantageous to talk to people who aren't using it. So that way, when it's like really full force, full throttle, we're all on board and, and we can start building. I love that. And yeah, I, I agree, Kyla. I think people need to one, understand it a little bit more and two, get a little bit um, hands on with what is the metaverse? How do we enter it? What are these virtual worlds and spaces feel like? And Jordine, I know we've also talked um, at length about the metaverse. Do you see consumers this year and perhaps into early next year getting a little bit more familiar with the space? I know the idea of the metaverse is very new to a lot in the last year or so. Um, Do you see a little bit of consumer sentiment shifting where there's interest and curiosity to get here? I think so. This is this is smart on their part because I think that to have adoption of any product like this, especially when that's more complex and that people are hesitant to, you want someone who can speak to a wide breadth of people. And to Kyla's point, like Kiki Palmer is very charismatic. She's also very like popular now. She knows how to talk to people, make people feel comfortable, just like and is good at just bringing people in and engaging them in a way that it really always feels like you're just talking to a friend or just someone like you know closely. So I think having a spokesperson like that for something um, like the metaverse is really solid because to their point about like the Bill Nye's and like stuff like that, like they make these complicated things very simple. So I think as it becomes more um, 
as more people begin to understand what it is and as companies and brands begin to figure out how to build um, utility into the metaverse. And we talk about that a lot um, as they begin to like add like value and show like how it can actually benefit people. I definitely think that it will expand um, and there'll be greater adoption. Exciting times. All right. It wouldn't be a five things if we didn't talk about the metaverse and we didn't talk about TikTok. So Jordan, take us away with our last thing today. So TikTok is celebrating Black-owned businesses during Black Business Month, which is in August. So as part of um, Black Business Month, TikTok has announced that it's now accepting applicants for the third round of its Support Black Businesses Accelerator Program, which aims to help Black-owned businesses thrive on the platform via exclusive access to support, resources, education, and networking opportunities. So TikTok explained that the program, which started back in 2020, provides the tools and resources to help Black businesses, creators, and entrepreneurs achieve success. During the four-week virtual training, selected participants will receive exclusive access to business resources and benefits and join a community of like-minded founders and owners to connect, support, learn and uplift one another. Throughout August, TikTok says that it will also celebrate and highlight Black-owned businesses on the platform via the hashtag Black-owned businesses. I think that this is a very, very great initiative on TikTok's part. And it shows, again, what it looks like when a company, business or whatnot really understands who their users are and understands the impact that they're having on their product, on their platform and how they choose to give back and really help these people. And this is not the first time that TikTok has done things of this nature either. Like during Pride Month, they had a whole entire like series and like did various activations to highlight um, creators in the LGBTQIA plus community and like really highlighting the things that they're doing on the platform and how they're like helping it grow and what they're doing and just really trying to help these individuals. And it makes sense because since TikTok's whole platform is based around creators creating content and like connecting with one another, it's in their best interest to highlight these individuals and really goes to show like if you want people to use your product and you want people to interact with this service beyond just creating this thing, really giving back does a lot because then what happens is like, if you have people who maybe weren't interested in TikTok before or something like that, but they love their local town bakery or something. And they found out that, Oh, like there's these resources that were being offered or whatnot. Then it might make them inclined to be like, you know, what, let me, let me check this out. Let me see what's going on. Like, I think it's really cool initiative on on their behalf. That's great, especially with the buying power of TikTok. I think this is such a, a great initiative. And I'm wondering what you guys think, you know, will we see more of these types of programs from other platforms or are there things that other platforms can do to support Black-owned businesses during this month? Yeah, I think that some platforms are definitely already doing it. Like I know Pinterest and Instagram, both they have their own initiatives that are aimed towards diverse communities, whether that be um, directly affecting creators like creator funds, for example, or black owned businesses specifically, I've seen it done both ways. And I think what's so neat about programs like these are that not all small businesses, especially within underrepresented communities, but not all small businesses can afford, you know, marketing and advertising at the level in which like we do advertising for bigger brands. And as we know, social today is one of the biggest 
catalysts for advertising. And I think that's the whole reason for our team even existing. I think initiatives like these are great because it's coming directly. The support is coming directly from the social platform. They have, they have all the keys, they have all the information. And I think it's just super helpful in getting certain businesses off the ground or just providing them some relief in the marketing department. And you said earlier, Amanda, that TikTok has such major buying power. It's not even funny at this point. It's a search engine. And if you're needing to find anything specific, you literally can search like white dress, et cetera, you know, and it'll literally come up like we see Amazon, for example, find so much success on TikTok alone. Like creators, I was telling a friend the other day that you have creators on TikTok that their sole purpose is to bring Amazon products to their audience and just put them on new, innovative products that are being sold on Amazon. And so if we can get that same type of reaction from creators, from people using TikTok for smaller businesses, I think that's dope. Love it. And yeah, to you guys' point, the transparency of, of resources and how this all works for businesses is super important. And we love to see TikTok opening the door on that. All right. That was our five things this week. Jordan, Kyla, thank you so much for joining us. A reminder to our listeners at home, if you don't already, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify. And as always, you can email us podcasts at gray.com with any questions, suggestions, or things that you want us to cover. With that, we will see you next week. Stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.